If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from a few amazing fundraisers about what they value most as members of Tammy Zonker's Fundraising Transformers community. I have had the honor of learning and growing from Tammy. She has really helped us understand how to communicate better with our donors, how to make sure that our mission is at the front line of their decision making. And she has just been an absolute joy to learn from. That's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, talking about how being a growth member is helping her communicate better with her donors. When you join Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member, you get live training and coaching with Tammy twice each month. You can get your burning questions answered during her live Ask Me Anything sessions. You get to join in Tammy's live weekly hot topic discussions. You can engage with other fundraising pros like you and her private and safe online community. And you get 24-7 access to her growing library of on-demand fundraising training videos and tools. Here's Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how being a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community is helping her grow her capacity, her skills, and her confidence as a fundraiser. It's been so helpful for me to grow my capacity and my skills. I feel more confident uh, knowing that I have Tammy and the Fundraising Transformers group for support. I've reached out to Tammy and the group on several occasions, whether it be just some wording for an email to say, hey, can somebody give me just a little bit of feedback on this? I'd love your thoughts before I send this out for an initiative. We'll hear more later in the show about why Jenna values having access to Tammy's members-only, on-demand training library. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. In our fast-paced lives, we don't always take time for reflection, whether it's at the end of a project, the end of the year, or even the end of an era, to look back and really distinguish the valuable lessons that we've learned. In today's show, I'm going to share with you five important lessons I learned in nine years as a chief philanthropy officer. If you've attended a conference where I've spoken in the last several years, you've likely heard me talk about the Children's Center in Detroit. I've had the pleasure of working with the Children's Center for nearly 20 years in total. First, as a fundraising trainer and coach, then as a part-time contractor to cover staffing shortages, and then a few years later, I became an employee and served as the chief philanthropy officer for nine years. 
It was there that we tripled fundraising results in the first three years, emerged from the Great Recession of 2012, and like you, began a pandemic journey that we didn't see coming. I resigned from the Children's Center six months ago to devote my full attention to my company, Fundraising Transformed. It's only now, six months later, the insights from those nine years are emerging. As they say, you can't see the forest when you're in the trees. So today, I want to share five important lessons I learned in nine years as a chief philanthropy officer. Insights that I hope will help you be more intentional, more resilient, and to become a more effective fundraiser and leader. Lesson number one, don't lose your fundraising superpower when you join the C-suite. It's an honor to sit at the C-suite table. As a chief philanthropy officer, you're in a position to truly influence the impact of those your mission serves. It's on you to lead the fundraising strategy, to lead the team that executes that strategic fundraising plan. It's on you to engage your CEO, your board members, your development committee, to mobilize volunteer leadership, to support fundraising, and you undoubtedly have your own top donor portfolio to manage as well. No problem. This is what got you what you where you are now. This is what you were made for. It was your fundraising success and your passion for philanthropy that got you to the C-suite in the first place. You got this. But I confess, nothing prepared me for the management accountabilities of this role. Two or three hour weekly meetings with the executive leadership team, half and full day monthly meetings, meetings about space planning, meetings about real estate, meetings about accreditation, meetings about financials, meetings about staff, systems, protocols, policies, and programs. Sometimes we had meetings about upcoming meetings. Now, this is not a, a, a dig or I'm not condemning the Children's Center at all. This is part of being in the C-suite and it happens everywhere. Organizations simply don't run themselves. This is just the glamorous work at the top. And even as I joke about it, I recognize that having a seat at the executive leadership team table it really is a privilege, and I'm grateful to have had it for nine years. But this part of being a chief philanthropy officer should not consume more time and energy than your primary role, raising money, building relationships, developing your team, equipping your CEO and board to engage supporters or likely supporters. This is your unique value proposition, your subject matter expertise. This is why your organization and certainly those you serve are counting on you. This is what they count on you to deliver. Notice I said organizational management shouldn't consume more time and energy than philanthropy-related activities. Time and energy are two very distinct things. So let's break down the distinction between time and energy. Time, the actual number of hours spent on organizational management compared to your time engaged in philanthropy-related priorities. This can be assessed very quickly simply by color coding your calendar. Whether it's an electronic calendar or a paper calendar, just commit yourself to putting 
everything in your calendar. And this can really be an aha moment for many people. When you find the ratio of time spent on organizational management versus fundraising or fundraising team management is out of balance or the scale is tipping further than you'd like towards management, you can then self-correct or have a candid conversation with your CEO about your time and your priorities. You could possibly suggest adjusting the executive leadership team meeting agenda so that items that you need to be present for are at the beginning of the meeting. And perhaps you could excuse yourself after those items are covered. Maybe you could share your point of view about a specific topic or issue before the meeting in lieu of attending. Or maybe you commit to submitting your information, your point of view in writing and reading the post-meeting action items. It might be mildly annoying to your other C-suite colleagues at times, but they will forgive you when you close those five, six and seven figure gifts. Energy. Now this one's a little bit tougher. Do you ever leave a one or two hour meeting and feel so emotionally drained that it's hard to pick up the phone and make those 10 donor calls that you had on your calendar? Maybe it was a meeting where you didn't feel heard. People talked over you. You felt dismissed. You strongly disagreed with the direction the group is going. You're feeling the pressure to raise even more money to overcome maybe unplanned um, reductions in programmatic revenue or under billings, right, um, in, in government reimbursements. The weight of it all can be really immobilizing at times. You need a mechanism to shift your mindset, your mood, your energy when that happens so you can do the work you were born to do, the work people are counting on you to do. Our donors and probable donors deserve the best of us. For me at the Children's Center, that might mean I grab a children's book and go to the lobby to read with children while they wait for their therapist or their psychologist. Like that could course correct that mindset. It could bring energy and purpose. It could remind me why I do this work. It might mean walking around the block in the fresh air or feeling the sun on your face. It could mean taking five minutes to read something that inspires you. Shake off that low energy, that frustration from the management accountabilities and get after it. Go fundraise, connect with your donors. Victor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meeting and survivor of oh, horrific Nazi concentration camps said, quote, between stimulus and response, there is space. That space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. End quote. You need a powerful context to inspire you when your spirit is low, when your energy is low, so that you can shift and do the work. Lesson number two, the safe path isn't that safe. Playing it safe is seriously overrated. At my first board meeting at the Children's Center, I said we would approach budgeting conservatively, but I believed we could triple fundraising revenue in three years. Now, I'll never forget the silence that fell over that room, the eyes darting up over their reading glasses, some wondering if they had heard me correctly, and some, without saying it, 
thought and looked at me, made direct eye contact, and you could just see they were thinking, hell yeah, let's do this. We need this. Our kids need this. Was that safe? Was it safe to speak such an audacious goal out loud? No, of course not. But I had the data. I had done the homework and calculated the the impact of reducing dependency on event-based fundraising. I had done the projections on increasing our donor retention incrementally each year, developing a major donor program, expanding relationship-based institutional fundraising with foundations and our corporate partners, applying donor-centric best practices to our multi-channel campaign strategy. And thankfully, thankfully, I had the trust of my CEO and the board, or at least a majority of board members. Trust built over time by consistently delivering excellence no matter the role, whether I was on staff or whether I was a contractor. I have found that when you leverage your data to inform strategy and can project a return on investment and can explain that data-informed logic to your CEO, to your board, you will inspire trust. You establish your expertise. And you can use that data to justify investment in your philanthropy program. Perhaps this is the year to invest in your philanthropy program, to take a risk, to set budget dollars aside for testing, or to pilot a new fundraising idea, or to scale one of your fundraising initiatives that's been performing well. Investment might look like adding staff or enhancing infrastructure, a new donor database management system, wealth screening or prospect research tools. Maybe it's team training or consulting expertise that you want to bring in. As one of my consulting clients said, give our team a dollar and we'll turn it into $5 back to the organization. You must spend money to make money. Yes, aspirational growth is risky, but complacency is even riskier. We're back with growth member Jenna Zapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how having 24-7 access to Tammy Zonker's on-demand training library is helping her become a better fundraiser. Since joining the Fundraising Transformers group, I have had the opportunity to go back and re-watch a host of trainings on such a wide variety of topics from how to work with my team members inside my organization to how to get my board excited and passionate about fundraising and topics like how to reach out to a donor and how to get a meeting with a donor. Here's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, sharing that as a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community, you're never alone. How members of the community support one another by sharing resources and lessons learned to help solve tough fundraising problems. You oftentimes learn from other people across the entire country, which is really nice because it helps you understand that you're not alone in your uh, fundraising challenges. um, I was just sharing with someone the other day that it really helped me feel like I wasn't the only one experiencing these challenges, knowing that someone from New York or New Hampshire or Texas, um, people all over the US with varying communities and different fundraising strategies, we're all in this together. At the end of the show, we'll hear why members enjoy learning from Tammy and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. 
To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. Lesson number three, grow your people and you'll grow your fundraising results. My learning curve was huge when it came to -to day-to-day management of a team. I've been an entrepreneur, the individual performer. Even in high school sports, I was on the gymnastics team, an individual performer contributing to an overall team score. For decades, I've been the conference keynote speaker, the workshop trainer, the board retreat facilitator. You see the trend here. I come in to deliver some inspiration, some turnaround strategy and practical how-to tactics to take fundraising to the next level, and then I'm gone until you need me again. A fundraising Mary Poppins of sorts. It really takes something to live together as a team day in and day out. I've always thought of myself as a great leader and an okay manager. To be completely transparent, most days I didn't find the day-to-day management of people very life-giving. Even though I really liked my staff as individuals, and I know some of you can relate to that. If you're a Strength Finders fan, my top strengths are strategic, futuristic, activator, focus, and achiever. If you're a DISC fan, I'm a high I influencer and a high D driver, but a low S and C, stability and consistency. All that to say day-to-day activities and maintenance mode are not my jam. Come to me when you don't know how to move a donor relationship forward, when you can't get the visit. Come to me when you want to talk through an automated process workflow for monthly giving or to create a major donor journey or when you want to create a three-year strategic fundraising plan. Let me lead an in-house training on donor development or a gratitude campaign and oh yeah, baby, bring it on. Like that is my joy. But when some staff struggle to get their time sheets in on time or have a conflict with a peer who's maybe late on getting in an agreed upon deliverable. When staff have a hard time saying no thank you to well-intentioned people who want to host like a t-shirt fundraiser to benefit your agency with no little to no return on investment. I find that really sucks the very life out of me. You know, to intervene or to coach these day-to-day people issues, it's not it's not life-giving. Now, it's important. These are all necessary issues to be managed. Just not issues I enjoy managing. And I think it's important to know yourself. And I learned a lot about myself in this role. You know, in hindsight, six months out of the woods, I can see the opportunity to invest more time in developing staff to solve their own issues, to help them source their own solutions, to take a 360-degree view of any given issue or challenge with them to talk it out more thoroughly. In hindsight, the time invested in growing the skills, the confidence, and the competence of staff is almost always the right choice. And I didn't always have the patience to do that. Staff yearn to grow and to develop themselves and to share their own expertise and their experiences with others. 
No matter how seasoned a fundraiser you are, there is always more to learn, including learning fresh perspectives from newer fundraising pros uh, that are on your staff or maybe team members with a, a niche expertise such as peer-to-peer fundraising or institutional fundraising, like the list goes on and on. Sometimes it feels easier to think it's faster to do it myself than to train an already busy staff member in a new fundraising skill, or it's faster to do it myself than to coach them in navigating team dynamics or opportunity evaluation. And that's true from a short-term lens. But the investment of time to train, coach, and develop staff in the short term absolutely pays immeasurable long-term benefits. More money raised, staff satisfaction and retention, increased donor trust and congruency, and it also supports team succession benefits and, and more. The list does go on. You know, it reminds me of that African proverb that I find so inspiring. It, it goes... If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I'm still unpacking this lesson. There's so much that I did learn. Uh, So many opportunities I see to grow and develop myself as a leader, leading others. Um, And so that, that was an important lesson. Lesson number four. Find your board champions. You won't always have the will and support of the entire board, but you absolutely must find your board champions. The board members who believe in you, who have your back. The board members you can count on to lift up your fundraising achievements and to rally the other board members when fundraising times are tough. This unicorn of a board member is not a yes person who blindly supports you, but rather they're the person or persons who take the time to understand your strategy, to constructively poke holes in it, to ask the tough questions, not to make you wrong, but to strengthen the plan or affirm that you have done your due diligence. You've done the work. They ask questions so they can get behind the plan, explain it to others, lean into it. And then when the course is set, they're among the first to step up and participate in a manner that leverages their unique expertise, passion, and influence. And that is a game changer. They may or may not also serve on the development committee, and that's a good thing. One of my biggest board champions at the Children's Center was Dan. He chaired the finance and investment committees. A seasoned financial advisor by profession, he understood investment and return on investment. He also understood long-term strategy, and no one was more passionate about helping children become the amazing people they were born to be than Dan and his amazing wife, Patricia. They consistently walked the talk. He arrived at board meetings, prepared for the consent agenda, served on a committee, and as I said, in Dan's case, chaired two committees. Both introduced others to our organization and hosted tables at fundraising events or purchased tickets and certainly bid on auction items. They gave a personally significant gift every single year 
which was also matched by Dan's employer. Both were tremendous champions for the cause of philanthropy. Finding your board champions shouldn't be left to luck or good fortune. It's a two-part process that begins with recruitment. Finding people who are passionate about your work, your mission, and you've witnessed that passion firsthand in your fundraising efforts and through committee service. They're the people who attend your events, give to your year-end campaign, attend and bring others to your tours, sponsor your programs, uh, whether that's through their company or personally. And hopefully, you're recruiting new board members from your active committees. That's part two, adhering to a practice, a commitment that board nominees must have a minimum of demonstrated service on a commitment. Maybe it's a minimum of one year. Maybe it's two years. I wish you all a board full of champions. Lesson number five, find your million dollar idea. The Children's Center was founded in 1929 by Senator James Cousins. This was at the peak of the Great Depression. The stock market was plummeting, and some were so distraught that they were ending their own lives and leaving behind children to fend for themselves. The Children's Center was created to meet the needs of orphaned and abandoned children and to address their mental health needs, their basic needs. Fast forward 92 years, nearly 7,500 children and families receive mental and behavioral health services, trauma-informed treatment for abuse and neglect, perhaps foster care management, adoption or independent living services, in addition to getting access to the basics like clothing, food, homework help, and enrichment programming. Whether your organization has been around for 92 years or longer, or whether you're a brand new organization, the board must cast an aspirational, dare I say, audacious vision. As fundraising legend Gerald Panis always said, quote, people give to the magic of an idea. They give to change or save lives, end quote. You can never lose sight of that. Complacency is the kiss of death to a fundraising program. It reminds me of a story about a fundraiser. I'll call him John. John was good at developing relationships with people who really cared about his cause. He was fortunate to have a very generous donor named Tom, who became his go-to donor. You know the go-to donor, the incredibly generous person that anytime there's a special need or a fundraising gap, John would call Tom and Tom would write a check. $5,000 here, $10,000 there. Whatever you need, John, I'm happy to do it. Our fundraiser, John, opened the paper one day and saw a photo of his donor, Tom, and a headline announcing that Tom had made a $1 million gift to another organization. Now, John was gobsmacked and more than a little hurt. So he pouted around his office the entire morning, and by early afternoon, he mustered up the nerve to call his donor, Tom. Tom answered the phone on the first ring. Hi, Tom. I saw the paper today. Congratulations. How wonderful for you and for them. But I have to ask, why them? I know you care deeply about our work. So why not us? To which Tom replied without hesitation, Well, John, it's very simple. You never brought me a million dollar idea. 
I shared that story at a board retreat the Children's Center hosted in an attempt to shake things up a little bit. At that time, our big, hairy, audacious goal was to be recognized as the best children's mental and behavioral health agency in the nation. Evidenced by achievement. Evidence of achievement would include being recognized with a coveted Malcolm Baldrige Award of Excellence. While aspirational, it's not directly connected to changing or saving lives. Would your donors give so that you can be recognized nationally? Now, arguably, to be recognized with such a well-respected award does imply that you are excellent at meeting your mission. But I believe the most powerful and compelling aspirations are clear, simple, human, and relevant. Fast forward four years. The chief clinical officer at the Children's Center leaned in to the million-dollar idea called action and set the table for what is now known as the crisis to connection imperative for our black boys. A five-year, $10 million trauma-informed approach to dismantling systemic racism and generational poverty that left unaddressed puts our black boys on a fast track to prison and a lifetime of suffering because we believe that when you heal children and black boys in particular when you heal children you heal Detroit so what's your million dollar idea what transformational audacious calling would you answer if you knew you could not fail that my friend is your key to the castle that is the magic of an idea that will inspire your donors and forever change your community. And dare I say, change the world. Do that. Well, my friends, those are the five most important lessons I learned in nine years as a chief philanthropy officer. I hope you found them helpful and thought-provoking on your fundraising journey. We're back for a final word about Tammy Zonker's training style and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's growth member Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee. Tammy is so encouraging. She's very empowering. She really wants you to succeed in your role. And that really comes through with everything that she does from the monthly coaching calls to the monthly webinars. The guidance I've received from Tammy and other members of the Fundraising Transformers group has always been so constructive, so beneficial. And you can tell everyone in the group wants everybody else to succeed because we all know what a challenging job it can be to fundraise for our, our wonderful causes and our organizations. You may be asking yourself, can a growth membership really help me improve my fundraising results? Is it worth my time? Laurel Grow from Phoenix Family in Kansas City shared that her organization increased charitable dollars raised by 132% since joining as a growth member. Becky Shambliss from Awake in Anchorage, Alaska shared that her organization increased donor retention from 13% to 69% in about a year using what they learned from Tammy's training. And growth member Amanda Johnson from Multiplying Good in Indianapolis shared that her organization exceeded their annual fundraising goal by 104% and grew overall giving by 13% 
in one year by applying lessons learned from Tammy as a member of her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's member Stevie Shumate again sharing how she and you can grow your fundraising skills as a growth member of Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community. This is the first fundraising role that I have ever been in before. Um, so at 30 years old, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, well, how do I rocket launch my fundraising expertise? You learn from Tammy Zonker. That's what you do. Become a member of the Fundraising Transformers community. To join our live monthly training and Ask Me Anything sessions and get access to our growing library of on-demand training videos and tools and share lessons learned with other fundraising pros like you in our private and safe online community, visit fundraisingtransform.com growth, click join, and get started today. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag, The Intentional Fundraiser, and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer community where I go live twice a month with my members with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level by teaching ways you can improve your development operations create a results driven donor centric development plan strengthen donor relationships improve your donor retention rates and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.